for being our redeemer. The same God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, you are our God. And you've cleansed us through Christ, in whose name we give you praise. Amen. Please be seated. You would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Christian, you who have trusted in Christ, I want to remind you that you have an absolutely amazing calling from God. I spent a great deal of time last week kind of uh, reminding you of this. That, that no Christian should, should ever lack purpose. That no Christian should ever lack a reason for getting up in the morning. And that's because all of us who have trusted in Christ have been, giving, been given a calling just like Moses, only I would say with greater spiritual dimensions. We see that Moses is, is told to do miraculous signs to show that he's sent by God. We'll study that, not even this week, but we'll get there. But we've all been given the task of showing others the miraculous work of God in our lives by our love and by our good works. While Moses was commissioned to free the Israelites from their physical slavery and, and eventual death, we've all been commissioned to take the bondage-breaking news of Jesus to spiritual slaves of sin and death. And while Moses was to lead the Israelites through the wilderness to the promised land, we all are to help one another, our fellow Christian, through, <coughs> excuse me, through the wilderness of this life to the true promised land of heaven. We all have an amazing calling. Things that God has said, do this. Now, if you're anything like me and you, you start to think about this calling and these different things God has told you to do, uh, your inner lawyer starts to speak up. Your inner lawyer is that voice that tries to get you off the hook of what you know you ought to do. And so in this case, we say, yeah, but... Our inner lawyer is saying this, yeah, but you're not like Moses. He was different. He was an important man. He was an influential man. He was a natural born leader. He was brave. He was strong. Surely God doesn't expect you to do the same thing Moses did. Not, not with wholehearted devotion, not intentionally setting out and going to. No, no, you're different. You're not quite like Moses. What I want to show you this week is whatever conception you have of Moses as, as brave and strong and fearless, whatever thoughts you have of Moses as, as skilled and eloquent, whatever you think about him from movies or flannel graph Sunday schools or just you know a, a surface level reading of the Bible, throw it out the window. 
Because if you think that Moses, uh, as we come here to uh, Exodus 3, is a, a brave, strong, eloquent man, you're not getting those ideas from the Bible. We must let the Bible teach us about Moses. And what we're going to find out is Moses is not so different from us, not only in his calling, but also in his disposition towards that calling. I want to show you that Moses was just as nervous and apprehensive about his calling as we are of ours. Yet Moses did go and God did do amazing things through him. And what we're going to see here in Exodus chapter 3 in this, this calling of Moses is that although Moses had good, legitimate concerns, God had better promises. That's what we're going to find out. He has legitimate concerns. I, I don't know that I'm the right guy, but God is going to have better promises to give him. And that's for us. That's for us as well, because We've been given this calling. We have this same apprehension as him, and we must go. We must obey our great God and do this great task he's given us. So before we, we uh, start reading God's word and, and learning from it, let's, let's go to him in prayer. Father God, I, I do pray that you would help us to not see Moses the way that we've maybe thought of him all of our lives. Help us to see him as a normal guy who had an anything but normal God. Help us to see that he struggled with, with fear and doubt and concerns, but he still went and you still used him. And you want to do the very same thing in our lives. So God, I pray, I pray that you would use this service to awaken us. Use your word to remind us of our calling and show us how it is that we can do what you've called us to do. Silence our inner lawyer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I do want to start today uh, by looking at chapter 3, uh, verse 7 through 9. And we're going to look at where, when God actually commissions Moses. Because so far, we've seen God appear to Moses in a burning bush. And God reveals his holiness to, to Moses. But now we come to God actually, you know, telling him, here's my plan. So, so follow along with me, uh, verses 7 through 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So just imagine you're Moses. I mean, the people of Israel have been, uh, you know, in slavery, been oppressed for hundreds of years there in uh, Egypt. 
And God appears to him and says, I have seen, I have heard, and I know their sufferings, and I am coming down. I've come down to free them and to, to lead them to a good land. And I just imagine Moses at this point, his response would just be, yes, yes, that's exciting, God. This is great. I, too, have seen the suffering of my people. I, too, have wanted to see them released from this slavery. I, too, have wanted to see them taken back to the promised land, the land that was promised to our father Abraham. This is good. So, God, go get them. You know, if you're needing my approval, you've got it. This is just what I imagine kind of going through Moses' head as he's hearing this. But then we shift to the next verse. Verse 10, God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Oh, do you think Moses was expecting God to say that? I don't at all. Like, well, you've come to the right place. You know, I've, I've got this. No. <laughs> I think he, what he's thinking is like, is there another Moses around here? I like, because I, I don't think he's got the right guy. That, that's what I think is going on here. Moses, as we're going to see throughout uh, Exodus 3 and 4, feels entirely inadequate to the task God is laying before him. And I'll remind you, we have this same calling. We, we get saved and we're like, this is exciting. And then we learn that God is going to save many people for himself and that he's going to lead them to the promised land, that there's going to be a new heavens and new earth. We're like, yes, that's awesome. God, do it. And then we realize, oh, by the way, <laughs> You're going to be the one through whom I, I do this. You Christians, you sinners saved by grace, you weak, feeble, frail people. I'm going to do it through you. And, and, and I'd say we largely respond like Moses. And we'll see this um, as we move through Exodus 3. Again, that, that Moses is going to have concerns. Moses is going to have some very real concerns about this. And this is actually the first point in your bulletin, if you want to write it down, is Moses had good concerns. These aren't crazy, like, ah, God, I would, but I've got to wash my car. I've got so much. I mean, it wasn't stupid excuses. These are good concerns that Moses is going to bring before God. But what we're going to see is that although Moses has good concerns, God has better promises. So let's go ahead and look at Moses' first concern, this first legitimate question he asks of God about this calling. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, that's a legitimate question. Who, who am I to do this incredible thing, to go before Pharaoh, to, to, to lead the Israelites out? I mean, who am I to do that, God? And, and you might, again, think, oh, but you're Moses. You're this strong, commanding guy. You go up and get the tablets of stone. And we need to understand, again, how the Bible has presented Moses up to this point. See, there, there's just a few things I want to show you that, that the Bible teaches us about how inadequate Moses would have felt for this task. 
The first thing I want to show you is that Moses did not have a strong family heritage. He, he didn't grow up in a family of, of prophets that they're just always doing these mighty things for God. God has been silent for a very long time. You look at um, Exodus chapter 2, where we were first introduced to Moses. There in verse 1 and 2, it says this about his parents. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. That, that's Moses. The text doesn't even bother to tell us the parents' names. That, that's how unimportant they are. It's not like, hey, you remember these guys that were doing these awesome things? They then had this child, Moses. Now you just imagine you got these two powerhouses. They make a baby and it's nothing like that. It's a Levite man, takes a Levite woman. Well, in chapter six, we'll learn their names, but still nothing special about them. You say, well, he's, he's from, uh, you know, Israel. So that's, that's strong. Yeah, they're slaves right now and have been slaves for a very long time. This is nothing special. This is not like born into something great. And you might even say, oh, the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. That has not happened yet. You know what's happened uh, to the tribe of Levi so far? So far, Jacob, uh, Levi's father, has kind of put a curse on him and said, you won't have a, a, an inheritance of land. Once the tribal allotment happens, you and Simeon, because of a sin that they committed, you won't have a tribal allotment of land. This is a dishonor. They're actually a dishonored tribe uh, among the tribes. Man, if he'd at least been, you know, an offspring of Joseph or, you know, no. He does not have a strong family heritage. You think about this in our context. He didn't grow up in a family of, of evangelists and pastors. He, he didn't grow up in a family uh, with a lot of people with a lot of, you know, initials after their name. PhD, you know, like, no, this is, this is nothing special. Did not have a strong family heritage heritage yeah we might think but we all like the story of a, a self-made man you know he he's born in the trenches but then pulls himself up that is not the story of Moses thus far while he was uh, brought up raised up in Pharaoh's household we looked at that from about age 5 to 40 we need to see that Moses was not a successful man by, by any standards, but certainly by the standards of a man who had grown up in Pharaoh's household in Egypt, Moses was not a successful man. Look back at chapter 3, verse 1. When, when God appears to Moses, this is, this is what we see Moses doing. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. Say, what, what does that mean? Well, it means Moses was a shepherd. If you don't know anything about shepherds, this is not a glamorous job. Moses is out shepherding sheep. It's a, I mean, it's a hard job, but it's a simple job. The, the simple people could do it. In fact, again, Moses, having been brought up in Egypt, um, the Egyptians hated shepherds. They were the lowest of the low. Um, in in uh, Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, it says this, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So think about this. 
Moses grows up in Egypt in Pharaoh's household, and he has now been demoted from that to being a shepherd. Not only is he a shepherd, but he's not even shepherding his own sheep. Look at it again. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. So the one job he could get was shepherding sheep, and it wasn't even his own flock. He has to be shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. And this is, this is a little bit embarrassing. It's, again, hard to describe from, from our culture how shameful this would have been uh, for Moses. He's 80 years old at this point. If, if there's any time to have a midlife crisis and say, I haven't accomplished all that I want to accomplish, this was it. You've gone from the house of Pharaoh out to, to a flock, not even your own flock. This is not a successful man. Again, to bring this to our terms, we think, you know, I, I just work a job. You know, I just do my nine to five, punch in, punch out. I work for the man, you know, <laughs> the, my bosses and, you know, or, or I, I, I just, I, I raise my family at home, you know, like that, that's all I do. This is not, you know, n no one's going to give me many awards for this, although they should, Father's Day and Mother's Day. Or I'm just a student. I'm just in school. I'm, I'm not, not very successful, you know. This is how Moses was feeling. But there is one last thing that just adds uh, insult to injury. Moses had tried and failed in the past. Not only was he not successful, he was a failure. <laughs> I mean, he had literally tried, uh, back in chapter 2 we saw, um, he had literally tried to help the Israelite people. I'm not going to, to read the whole thing there, but I put it up on the, the screen. Exodus 2, 11 through 15 tells about how Moses, you know, looks down from Pharaoh's household, sees an Egyptian oppressing an Israelite. So he goes out there and kills the Egyptian and buries them. I'm going to help my people. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the masked marauder of, of Israel. You know, like this is, he's got this idea that he's going to be something great. But then the next day he sees two Israelites fighting and he goes down there to try to break up the fight. And they say, who made you ruler over us? What are you going to do? Kill us like that Egyptian? <gasps> All of a sudden he realizes he's in trouble. <laughs> he's, he's, he's known and not only is his murder known, but his own people have turned their backs on him. The people that he's trying to help have turned their backs on him and then Pharaoh wants to kill him. And that is why Moses is out in Midian in the first place is because he had tried in the past, but it blew up in his face. I mean, this is an, a royal failure. <laughs> the people he tries to help are angry at him. The people who he's, you know, uh, trying to work against are angry at him, trying to kill him. I mean, this did not work out well. And I wonder about, again, our, our own lives. Maybe we've tried to do big things for God in the past, but it just didn't work. <laughs> Maybe we actually made the situation worse by our efforts. This is where Moses was. He's a no-name, unsuccessful failure. But God comes to him and says, come, I'm going to send you to go do these things. And so it is a very good uh, concern of Moses 
Who am I? Who am I to do these things? Again, this is, I mean, a very real feeling. I think about the feeling we have with concern. Maybe concern isn't even a strong enough uh, word for what Moses would have been feeling, but this, this sick feeling that says, no, I would rather dig a hole out here in the desert and get in it than, than go do that. I, I cannot imagine actually going and doing this. Who, who am I to do this? Now, the question is, what do we need to hear in these situations? What does God say to Moses when he says, who am I? Does God now tell Moses how great he really is? Moses, you don't think much of yourself, but you just don't know how awesome you are. Moses, you can do anything you set your mind to. Just visualize it. Just visualize accomplishing it and it will be yours. Is, is that how God is going to respond? No. See, what we're going to see here is that Moses has good, right concerns, but God has better promises. And so that's number two. God has better promises to answer, to, to be a solution to an overwhelming solution to Moses' concern. Verse 12 there. God said, he said, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. That's, that's as much as I'm going to look at today of that portion. I want you to first notice the word but. That, that word really is there in the Hebrew. It's a little C-looking thing with a dot in it, but it's so funny that that's what God says. I mean, have, have you ever had someone, you know, fishing for encouragement, fishing for accomplishments? Oh, I just, I'm no good. You know, I, I'm just not very smart or funny. And like, you're just waiting for the other person to say, oh, no, you really are great and you are smart and funny. I say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I don't know, I don't think that Moses is fishing for a compliment, but he certainly did not get one. Who am I to do this? And God basically says, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I, I know that you don't have a good family heritage. I know that you're unsuccessful. I know that you failed in the past. I know that. But, that's that word, but. That, that is all true. Your concerns are real, but. I will be with you. I will be with you. See, Moses was, was doing the wrong math. He had the equation wrong because Moses was taking, okay, I've got this task. I've got to go to uh, Egypt. I've got to get the people of Israel, you know, to follow me. Then I've got to talk to Pharaoh and get him to let the people go. Then I've got to lead them to the promised land. So there's this task. And then I look at my life. I look at my heritage. I look at my abilities, my success or lack of it. I look at my failures. And, and that equals failure. This is not going to work. That's the math that Moses was doing. But you know what? He was missing the most important factor in the equation, God. God is on this Moses side. So yes, you have uh, an unsuccessful failure, but you put God on that side up against the task and it's a no-lose situation. He will be successful. Why? 
because Moses is really awesome, because, oh, don't worry about that failure. I'm sure you'll get it right the next time. No, because I will be with you. And I wonder how often we do the very same thing. God says, go, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says that in Matthew 5. And we say, yeah, but I'm kind of messed up. Like, I'm still struggling. Yeah, I'm saved. I've trusted in Christ. I love him. And I'm trying, but I still make lots of mistakes. I still sin. I still say things I shouldn't. But this is the promise that overcomes our concern. In John uh, 8, 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. Then he says, you are the light. Follow me and you won't walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. You will shine that light. Yes, you're, you're, you're still <laughs> you know, failing. Yes, you still slip up. Yes, you're still struggling. But I will shine my light through you. That's a promise. Not because we have light within ourselves, but because the light is within us. I am the light of the world. You will have the light of life. This is a promise for us that we can show our good deeds and lead others, point others to our Father in heaven. Jesus says, of course, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we say, how am I supposed to do that? Who, who am I to convince people to turn from their, their self, to turn from their sin to Jesus, to, to, to picking up their cross daily. Because this isn't some easy believism that Jesus says that we should do. Make converts that sign a card and walk the aisle. No, he says, make disciples, teach them to obey all that I have commanded. Make, make real deal followers of me. And we say, who am I to do that? Who am I? I? I can't convince people to turn away from sin, from their, their, their spiritual death into life. I can't do that. But God's sending me. Well, in verse 20, Jesus follows up by saying, where's he say there? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So with this command, this impossible command that we could never accomplish on our own, he gives the promise. I am with you always. It's just like he did with Moses. I know you're weak, but I will be with you. And again, we think about helping one another to the promised land, the church, the body of Christ, that we are to build up, to edify one another. Um, in Matthew 18, Jesus is, is teaching them how to do this accountability. Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And in the following verses, Jesus says, if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two witnesses and, and go to him again. Then if he doesn't listen to all, all of you, bring it before the church with this end goal that this person will turn from their sin, that they will repent, and that we can gain our brother, save their souls from, from hell. But again, we think, I don't want to confront 
my fellow Christian. It's not only uncomfortable, it's dangerous, right? I don't, I don't want to see my church involved in some feud where, because I'm calling them out on what they're doing and they get mad and then it ends up being some people take their side. Some people, I, I, can't, I don't want to follow Jesus' directions because it won't go well. I can't control that well enough. Who am I to help other people make it to the promised land? But again, we see there in verse 20, following through that accountability thing, it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We have legitimate concerns, people. (laughs) We do. Because who are we? (laughs) We are weak. We are frail. We are fickle. But that's not the point. We're doing the math wrong. We need to look at God. I will be with you. I I just want to say you're probably less competent than you think. (laughs) I mean, this is true for me. I probably think I have more chance of convincing someone into heaven than I really do. But God says, but. I I know that about you, but I will be with you. I I want to show you this just to kind of impress this upon you a little further. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Moses has multiple concerns. It'll be a total of five um, concerns that that Moses will bring to God or or responses to God. I'm going to go ahead and skip to the fourth one that we find in chapter 4. So if you're following along in your Bible, go to chapter 4, verse 10. And I, I just think this will so perfectly fit in with what we're talking about. And this will so perfectly fit in with the fears we might have, the concerns we might have. So chapter 4, verse 10, this is still in the same conversation. It says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Okay, I would say this is a very good concern. (laughs) This is a very legitimate concern. Moses is saying, I'm not eloquent. I'm I'm slow of speech and tongue. This most likely means he has some sort of a speech impediment. Maybe a a stutter, maybe just can't say certain letters, make certain sounds. I I, I don't know. But he not only says that, he says, I'm slow of speech and tongue. This, This speech is the idea of like, I'm not good with words. My mind doesn't think fast enough to keep, you know, the conversation going. And so... God is sending this guy, uneloquent, slow of speech, slow of tongue, to go convince Israel to follow him and then to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. (laughs) That's, That's a pretty legitimate concern, I would say. And I would say a lot of us probably have this exact same concern Oh, I, I, I don't know that I would be very good at sharing the gospel. Like, I don't know if I'd have the right words to say. I, I, I don't know that I could, you know, be, be very persuasive in what I say. In fact, they'd probably just ask me questions that I couldn't answer. They'd probably, you know, bring charges against God, and, and I, I wouldn't be able to answer them well. Like, you know what, I'm just not going to do it. This is where Moses is at. He's looking for an escape. Uh, uh, no, you don't have to do this. But how does God respond? I 
cannot tell you how much I love this promise from God. Exodus 4, 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I mean, this is incredible. Moses says, who am I to do this? I don't have the qualifications. I don't have any of that. I'm not successful. God says, I'll be with you. But then Moses says, I don't even have the ability. I don't think I can physically do the thing you're asking me to do. And God says, I'll not only be with you, I'll be with your mouth. I will teach you what you shall speak. The idea there is just go, put yourself in the situation, and you will know what to say. I'll be with your mouth. I will make you eloquent. I mean, look at how he talks about this. Who has made man's mouth? I mean, that's a pretty good uh, logic, right? You're worried about how well your mouth will work. You know who put that mouth on your face, Moses? I did. (laughs) Is it not I, the Lord? And God even takes it a step further. Who makes man mute? Who makes man deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? I do all these things. I am the one who makes man function the way that they function. Now, if I'm sending you to go do this, don't you think I can take care of that? Moses has a legitimate concern. I'm not a good speaker. I I can't go do this. But God has a better promise. I will not only be with you, but I will be with your mouth, your abilities. I will give you the abilities as you do it. And by the way, he says there, Um, Moses had said, I'll I'll go back one slide. Uh, He said, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. So he's saying, even right now, I'm struggling to talk to you. Like if you wanted to send me to do this, shouldn't you have like miraculously made me a good speaker right here, right now? But God says, no, you go, you stand in front of Israel, you stand in front of Pharaoh, and that's when I will be with your mouth. That's when I will teach you what to speak. It's interesting how often we could, we could look at this all through the Bible. We could look at this in chapter 3, verse 12. God's sign, as we were there earlier, I will be with you. And then he goes on to say, <clears throat> and this shall be the sign for you. This shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses is getting a sign from God that God is really with him. I will be with you. And here's how you'll know that I'm with you. You'll be successful. (laughs) Is that the kind of sign you want? It's like saying to a car dealership, you'll know that I have the money to pay you when I pay you after I drive away. They say, no, 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 we need a down payment, right? Like you you don't drive off the lot without giving some good money in earnest (laughs) right there. God's saying, look, I will show you my power. I will show you what it means to be with you. I will show you what I can do with you, but you need to step out and do it. That's when you will feel my power. It's interesting. I wonder how many of us doubt God. We doubt his presence. We doubt his power. We doubt what he can do through us because we haven't tried because we haven't stepped out, because we haven't gone and spoken. And so we never see the success. 
But what a great promise we have from God. I will be with you. I'll be with your mouth. I'll give you the abilities you need to do what I'm calling you to do. And that's when you'll get to taste the blessing. That's when you'll get to see me work. That's when you'll get to be a part of my big picture plan. Redemption, salvation. You'll get to be a part of it. But you got to trust me. Don't look to yourself. Look to me. I will be with you. Would you go ahead and bow your heads with me for a moment? It may be that you've known ever since you've been a Christian that that you're called by God to, to do these things. To live in such a way that shows the miracle, to share the gospel of salvation to to sinners, and to help your fellow Christian home. As we pray now, I I just want to invite you to bring those things to God and say, God, so far I've been listening to my inner lawyer. So far I've only been looking at what I can do, and so I haven't tried it. But God, I want to take you at your word. I want to believe and act on your better promises that overcome my concerns. You can bring that to God right now as you sit in your seat. Tell God, I'm I'm afraid to do these things. I'm nervous to do these things, but I want to do it anyway. Because I want to see you work, God. I want to see you glorified. I want to see people saved. Father God, thank you for your patience with us. Just like you were with Moses. You were so patient with all his questions, all his concerns, all his apprehensiveness. What a wonderful thing to see for us who struggle with the same thing. But God, we don't want to stay there. We want to be used by you, God. We want our lives to matter in this world for your glory, God. We want to see your power at work, God. So help us to believe your better promises that you will be with us, that you will empower us, God. And help us to step out in faith. In that moment when we don't know what's going to happen, help us to just step out in faith, believing that you will come through. Oh God, help us in this for your glory, our joy, and the eternal good of others. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.